This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Vogue. How you doing, Max? I'm good. Yourself, Joris? I'm great. I'm great. I'm uh, having a lot of fun. I'm in great mood. I'm really looking forward to this podcast. So, so no, all nice. is well. How was uh, Thanksgiving? We oh, Thanksgiving was great. And, yeah. yeah, I just came off Thanksgiving. Had lots of fun turkey. I made myself uh-huh. a for my family a vegetarian shepherd's pie. So. Uh huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Otherwise, it was great. So let's, I'm ready to raring to talk some additive. Who, who do we yeah. have on the podcast today? Uh, we have Jonas Gallas on the podcast today. Uh, he is a, well, he's a researcher and engineer. And seven years ago, he invented a well, kind of new metal 3D printing technology, and um, commercialized this technology into a company called Valkun. And Valkun or Valkun, we have to ask him about the, pro- the the pronunciation. Is a company that's aiming to make specifically the printing of aluminum uh, to be really incredibly low cost, much more low cost than we can do with the existing metal three D printing technologies. And of course, the applications are going to be different. We, we can't do all the same things with this, but this could open up a whole new area of additive. So that, that's uh, why we thought we'd uh, be great to have Jonas on. So welcome to the show, Jonas. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for the introduction. Uh, so, 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 Jonas, like, first off, like, uh, you know, how do you end up inventing a metal te- printing technology? Were you were you looking for something? Was this an accident, or what happened? Yeah, first, being not normal—that's the first key point uh, before you start things like that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, secondly, um, yeah, I, I need projects with a lot of challenges. Um, if there's no challenge, then it's not worth for me to start with it. But that was not. Yeah, how I got started. It's not that I woke up and I say, okay, let's do something in metal printing. Actually, I woke up at some point and I said to myself, I want to make a new kind of rocket engine. Uh, So it's also uh, (laughs) weird to hear maybe, um, but that's how it all started. And uh, from there, yeah, I needed a lot of things. First, I needed needed uh, a 5-axis CNC machine, which I hadn't uh, uh, around, so I made that myself. But at some point, I realized that when you want to make a rocket engine, um, you want to put it in the air, meaning that it needs to be lightweight. Um, This thing becomes very hot, so you need to cool it down. So those kind of components are very complex. And that's how I made a link towards metal 3D printing. Um, So that's how it all started. Okay, And and, and the the actual invention itself, how, how how did you come about that? Yeah, what's different? Yeah. Actually, by asking always myself the question why things are done. Um, so uh, I noticed at that time that 3D printing in metal was really expensive. Um, and by the way, it still is. But I'm talking about 2013 when I, got, uh, when I needed that for my uh, rocket engine. And I didn't understand why it had to be that expensive, why they had to use powders, why they had to use lasers. Um, so nobody could give me the answer. And the problem with me is when you don't give me the answer, I will try to find the answer myself. So then I asked myself the question, why is nobody printing metals like they do on plastics? Because that's a cheap way to do it. Um, again, nobody could give me a real decent answer. 
So the only thing I could do is to come up with my own ID and to try to find out that answer. So now I know the answer. Yes, it is possible. So it took me some time, but at least now I know the answer. Yeah, and how does your technology work on exactly? Roughly speaking, it's um, the same as for polymers, FDM. So you have a wire that's being fed to a um, yeah, print heads. There it's molten. And um, then you control the, uh, the, the, the volume rate or the, the, the position rate by the use of the wire. That's how it's done now. And that's how you build up the part. So it sounds exactly the same. But the main difference is that we are dealing with metals instead of polymers and the physics of that are different. So there we had to do yeah, a, an engineering trick in order to be able to deposit liquid metal in, in, a, in, a, in a very controlled way. And that's what makes it very hard while others failed and we succeeded. Because because the, the difference is because there's other there's other wire base. Well, first off, wire is great, right? Because wire is safer, right? Than uh, yeah. than powder, it's cheaper than powder, right? It's commodity even, so that's wonderful, right? So that's that's. But we already have other wire DED. So how is this different than a lot of wire DED methods that, that people might already know of? Yes. Um. So in terms of that comparison, we are doing the opposite of uh, wire the standard wire DED, meaning that we are melting or uh, we adding a molten feedstock material and keep the part solid. Well, in wire DD, it's the opposite. So you create a melt pool on the part and you add solid material. And that is a, a significant difference because especially when you work with aluminum, you have to add way much more energy um, in your work parts when you do wire DD um, to create a melt pool, uh, meaning that you have a lot of thermal stresses and deformations. While if we can really melt it in an insulated print head, we need much less energy. So we can work at lower temperatures, lower energy densities, meaning that the, 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 the chance for cracking and so on is very much less. And as a result, we can print with non-weldable alloys for that sense. So what temperatures are you operating at? Uh, between 700 and 1,000 degrees for the deposited material for aluminum. I don't know if and you then, want to talk, talk about it, but how are you heating it up? Because that's also yeah, I was about to ask. What's the heating <laughs> element? <laughs> um, if you can. Yeah, sure. Because the way how you heat it is not really relevant for technology. So at the moment we are using uh, ceramic heaters to do so. So resistive heating, especially when you go for aluminum, that's that's good enough. You can go up to uh, with those kind of heaters up to 1,400 degrees. So you could even go up towards copper and so on. So for steel, it's going to be harder. Okay. And then, and we have certain kind of other crucible based kind of technologies, right? There's like the Grobe or Grob. There's the Elementum X, Vader. I don't know who has it this week, uh, technology uh, that, that is also kind of a crucible based kind of technology. Would you compare yourself to that or is it very, very different than those as well? Um, yeah, so in terms of the crucible, it's very similar, meaning you melt it in an insulated print heads. But the difference with these technologies is that they are shooting uh, or jetting droplets. And we are doing a continuous stream. And having a continuous stream compared to droplets, that's a significant difference. 
um, because when you do droplets, all the energy for the fusion needs to be inside the droplets. Well, we are always in contact um, with the printhead, so having a, like an unlimited reservoir of heat that can be uh, put in there. So that means that we can build higher by definition. Um, that's one thing, but by the fact that we have always the liquid in control, we can also do way much higher overhangs. I mean, droplets, they need to fall on something. Um, so, yeah, we don't have that problem. So overhangs like more than 75 degrees are relatively easy for us to obtain without the support structures. Um, further on, if you want to move towards robotic printing, 5-axis printing, you can print upside down just because of the nature, how we deal with the liquid metal. And that's the main difference to, with droplets. Okay, no, so, so this is really interesting. So, so the stream, it seems like it could be much more energy efficient, but maybe the droplets, you could control it much more kind of like, like an inkjet kind of system. Because the stream, to me, it would seem like, what do you do if you, 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 know, you regulate the stream, so you then put in less, well, you put wire in, you feed wire, you reduce the feed rate in advance, right? And then, yeah, but how do you manage that? Because that seems like it could be really difficult to do. Uh, yeah, so it's a completely volumetric extrusion, meaning that if you want to uh, deposit more, we uh, increase the, the wire uh, speed, exactly the same as with polymer um, FFF. Um, so that's how we control. But the, the, the key trick is because molten metal is like water, um, you don't want to have it flowing out when you stop feeding. Uh, and that's the, that's basically our IP that we generated. Um, and yeah, sh jetting droplets, it seems easy to control, but um, yeah, th there there's a problem that's over duration of time and things can get clogged. Uh, you have buildup of oxidation. So it, it's not that easy as it looks like. Um, while in the stream, you're, you're less dependent on forces because it's volumetric. So that, that, that's also a very important one that allows us to print for a long time. Uh, and also, uh, you said this before, also much higher, right? Uh, in terms of height, you mean? Yeah, in terms of height of the the part, because that's been a problem with these droplet-based technologies. They haven't been able to go beyond uh, a few centimeters, right? Uh, yes, yes, indeed. And... If you check our patterns, we have uh, methods uh, where we can actually get rid of the heated build plate, and that will allow us to build in in the yeah infinity high. I mean, so then we can put it on the robots and and go wild, basically the similar to uh, towards welding robots, um, and that's where the, the jetting with droplets uh, is going to be much harder to do. Yeah, I, th I think I think that's really, really very exciting. But then, well, tell us a little bit more about the story. But at one point, so you're working on your magical kind of your project to make a, a, a rocket engine. How do you first get this to work? Because it sounds like it could be very, very dangerous. You <laughs> I mean the that's rocket engine? <laughs> Not the rocket engine, just this, this print technology. This It sounds like in the beginning, this could be very, very dangerous to try to do this, right? You, you mean in the sense of um, of uh, high risk to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Um, yes, yes. Uh, I mean, how we started, I mean, I, I saw a lot of potential in that, um, not because it was fun to do from an engineering point, but also that I, I noticed there was a, um, it could be an economical benefit. There, there, there are people 
that wanted to have industrial industrial metal 2D printing and from my point of view with the powders there was still a lot of issues with so that's why um, that was one of the motivations and uh, again I needed some challenge um, it was a big challenge uh, to, to, to find the, the money find people to work with and actually to, to eventually make it work it took us a couple of years before we actually could extrude uh, a single droplet so to say um, so that was a big challenge but that, that's what I needed it so uh, but uh, and how do you keep going are you just like are you just you're just hardwired like that you just keep going that's what you do or uh yeah a lot of coffee as well um uh, a lot of setbacks but at some point you build up an elephant skin and you know when when you look back uh, there were times where we had such big setbacks that at this point that i I, I don't know how I that, that we, we, we revived from that um, setback. So now once we have another setback, we know we'll find a way to get around it. So it's part of our life at this moment. And that's basically what can keep us going. Uh, do you, did you have a lot of trouble finding money or, or, or do you just... Oh, uh... That was very hard. Um, and mainly because the way we are thinking... Uh, what's in our heads other people are not thinking the same way and it took us too long to realize that what i mean is that in our minds it will work we know the physics behind it we are quite sure about this but the problem is that other people they don't know um about the, all the details uh, the first one to see stuff so it was like the chicken egg problem. Uh, so we say, give us money and we can build it and make it work. But the investors were the way around. Uh, first show us something and then we give you, uh, you the money. And that was the continuous battle that we had to live with. Um, so, but yeah, at some point we realized they are right. Uh, we need to show first something and then we get the money. So that's how we are now uh, working further on, on, on getting the grants and the, and the money. Yeah. So, so, uh, and what kind of investors did you have or what kind of government bodies did you have that funded it and why did they fund it? Did they, did they understand it or what was the difference there? Um, yeah, we started off with the uh, governmental uh, grants. It was um, mainly based. So, so these were for high risk. So if you could, show uh, the theory that it would work and we show the potential the economical potential that was relatively easy to convince because i can be very convincible and maybe uh, maybe it doesn't sound like that but once i got started believe me you have to stop me on that part so that was fine that gives us the first credits uh, to move on and we find uh, we found some business angels that really invested in the team rather than what they show uh, what we could show at that time um, and they also a couple of them followed us for already um, yeah more than one year as uh, advisors so they know how we handled um, the, um, the the setbacks and so on and that's how they decided to invest and from there off yeah we we got small steps forwards and to finally have where we are today and, and so right now like does this kind of work does it work most of the time what, what stage of development yeah, are you at I the buy moment one. 
yeah sure you can buy one um, so no uh, so now we are in the stage that we have um yeah a, a stable hardware uh, construction now it's more development of the software to make uh, more type of features um to make more complex parts so uh, that's a continuous development that we are doing at this point um so but f for like uh, cooperation with universities research institutes now we are at that level that we can cooperate together to further improve and and really show that we will be able to print uh, industrial graded parts did you choose aluminum because it was just like the easiest thing to do or just because the market was open because it's difficult to do with other processes or, or what was the reason for aluminum? Um, well, actually, because it's one of the hardest metals to do with powder bed fusion. That's one thing. And um, we have the feeling that it's very underserved, um, not only because it, it's, it's a relatively pain in the ass to do it with powders, but also because people say they started with titanium and all those high-end uh, materials because 3d printing gave a lot of value for that uh, aluminum seems to be easy to process but actually if you combine um yeah both the the the, the value of aluminum in terms of properties and additive manufacturing you can create a lot of applications where there is actually need for in the markets so that's another thing. And yeah, because for our process, we can provide most of the added value. Yeah, it's so aluminum is highly thermoconductive. So we ins uh, melt it in an insulated printhead. So we are more efficient in that. We don't use light to do so. Um, so for us, that metal gives us most of the value for our technology. So you've sold your first machine, I think, to Cirrus, right? Which is like a Belgian research institute. Yeah. Uh, super good, super nice of them, and they should be able to do some interesting stuff because they've been doing really cool stuff for a really long time now. So, but what do you expect of like the you know? And and I think typically your first few customers are all going to be research people from all over, right? But yeah. but beyond that, who do you think are going to buy the machine? What what are some industries or types of companies that you think will be interested in this? Again, those companies where the applications. Um, make the use of uh, the combination of aluminum and 3d printing so mainly heat exchangers structural components so we're talking about automotive energy aerospace um, and also we have some business cases of uh, catalytic converters so in the, in, in the chemistry uh, so these are the type of um, yeah sectors that we are targeting initially I think what's interesting is that, that okay, it's it's very low cost this process, right? But but can you give us an idea of how low cost it would be? I, I don't know how we'd measure that because yeah, there's no. Is, is it yeah. in the range of like a today desktop printer or or like I don't want to compare it to like an Ultimaker kind of thing, but like is yeah. it that level that you're anticipating? So at the moment we want to have an industrial machine. Let's be clear about this because you have um, FFF printers of 30,000 uh, euros and also 300 euros. So both are doing exactly the same. The same is true for uh, CNC machines. Uh, so we first want to go demonstrate the technology on an industrial level. Um, that's an important detail because we want to make a deployable technology meaning that we don't want to change a lot of the environmental stuff. Um, you can put it basically in your office um, and the, the feedstock is also very easy to handle. So you don't need additional stuff. So, But it's, I, it's small though. It sounds like you're saying it, it is like desktop in uh, terms it, of size. 
Yeah, so, so it's like a, a, a big smack um, refrigerator, to put it in that sense. Uh, Smaller than a U.S. refrigerator and bigger than a, a, a mo most... Uh, than a dorm refrigerator. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> In, in the in the fridge type of measurement, but and then but how much how much are we talking? Like what's what's our cost per kilo of parts, right? Because I'm thinking this is like ridiculously low, right? Yeah, it it really depends on on the application. Um, but yeah, we're talking about thirty to one hundred uh, euros a kilogram, something like that. Um, but I'm very careful with these numbers because it really depends. Um, if it's just a single wall, that can go very fast. But if you have complex structures, um, so it, it, it all depends on, on the application. But that is a yeah, rough number to, to give you. And that, that's okay. the cost of the printed part, right? So that's that's less than the feedstock cost for part of a fusion, right? Uh, so, and that's, yeah. uh, so that's insanely uh, cheap, of course. For the alloy that I'm talking about now, so we are talking about 10 euros a kilogram for the, the alloy that we are using now. So, yeah, it's multiple of 3 to 10, depending on the parts, something like that. Yeah, so that's insane. I mean, I think, and, and what's, like, can you give any idea of, like, the speed? What are your build rates like, kind of? You know, I, you, you just said, yeah, it, it varies enormously. You could just give us kind of a range on that? Yeah, so for the industrial machine, we want to go up to about two kilograms an hour, um, at least installed for the installed power. So that's about yeah, a little less than one liter an hour. Um, yeah, that's, that's where insane. We want to eventually go. Yeah, that's insane. And then, and then of course, you could make like yeah, these these. So the heat sinks you're talking about wouldn't necessarily have to be like automotive or they could be like automotive heat sinks or they could be quite close to commodity heat sinks if you're looking at that kind of pricing per kilo and a heat sink being a couple of grams or something like that you're really talking about you know high high ultra high volume stuff right yes uh, that, that's correct um so heat sinks for power electronics yeah indeed so i think that's a big difference because we've been doing heat sinks for a long time for like you know, like satellites and stuff like this, and 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 jet uh, fighter jets and all that stuff and missiles. But but to make this like a kind of technology that could be used in whatever the consumer electronic kind of like to make it be something that can be used in snowmobiles and stuff, I think I think is a would be a really big big leap. Definitely, and that's where we want to go. We want to bring metal additive manufacturing to industrial level. Uh, so we start from the high end marks, but in the end, we want to have a technology that is next to CNC, um, milling, uh, costing. I mean, that you have the option or that it's like uh, when you design a part that you really can think, okay, will I, uh, is it uh, a part for milling, for 2D printing uh, or combination of? Well, now 2D printing is still too much seen as too high end, too expensive, only prototyping. And we want to yeah, get rid of that um, reputation. And that, that's a hard one to convince industry and people um, that it's actually possible. Uh, so that's our big mission to do, to realize. Okay. And then, and I think that's interesting. And then, but for this kind of vision, is it, is it like, what's, is it like the, the structure that, that sells it? Or is it just like, you know, we can do this high production and it's going to be faster than milling it or CNC, or are you making unique geometries? What, what's the sell for them to opt for 3D printing in that kind of context? Um, yeah, th there are different ways to look at it. it. It depends on the application. Um, 
if the, the, the application requires yeah, highly optimized um, uh, complex structure that you can't even make um, by, by, by milling, okay, then is uh, additive manufacturing is, is the most common sense. But if, if we have two parts that can either be made by milling or by our technology or 2D printing, then for the cases that we have seen, we can actually have, we have a, a rule of thumb that when the buy to fly ratio is higher than 70%, it uh, is worth looking by printing first near net shaping with our technology and finishing it up by, by milling. So that gives you a bit of an idea where we are compared to, to the milling. Okay, that would, yeah, but that would really differ a lot per part and stuff. Okay, but that's a good idea to kind of yeah. like aim for something like that rather than like much more elevated kind of uh, value propositions that we're used to seeing. And I'm, I'm really excited by the fact that the, it, okay, if you make this happen, right, you're still a small company, you're still, uh, um, you know, there's still a long way to go, I think. But I think if you guys can make this happen, at least for a certain family of products, I think this could be a really viable, like, 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 you know, 20 of these machines going day in, day out on the floor somewhere making something, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That That's what we aim for, meaning additive manufacturing and production, having a whole farm. And, and the nice thing about additive manufacturing, it's a digital uh, process. Uh, our technology allows automation. So it's, it's suitable for... For, for production and, and, and putting several ones in a, in a, in a manufacturing environment. Yeah. And, and you mentioned power electronics, right? So are you also looking at cladding things like, like putting the drop, you know, can you do that as well? Can you put stuff on top of something else or does that not really work? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we call this hybrid manufacturing. So hybrid manufacturing can be, we print something and melt something away, but also printing on top of, uh, of existing aluminum parts. Um, yeah, that, that's definitely an option that's open. That's, that's one of the reasons why we have one of our investors in aluminium die casting uh, because he, see, he sees a lot of opportunities in that, uh, in that sense. Yeah, because only like the die casting market is gigantic, right? So, so imagine you could just do, a, you know, in certain cases in die casting, you can make the tool or rejuvenate the tool, uh, you know, and get the tool, low, uh, you know, rejuvenate the tool for less money than it takes to remake it that would just be just, just this gigantic opportunity right yeah yeah or, or maybe even more interesting i would say is that you have an extrusion process um and yeah fr from my early days in an engineering company there was always one stupid feature that didn't make the part extrudable so if you have our print hats in line in an extrusion process it comes out of the die the extrusion it's still hot so it's even easier to to print the oh, feature wow, on yeah. top of it and then i don't know post process it further so then it's actually integration of our technology in a production line um, but yeah if you think about it, it can't go very wild um, it's up to us to realize that of course but dreaming is good and realizing it as we do at this moment is even more exciting yeah I, th yeah, I think so too. I've been following you guys for a couple of years now. And I think the interesting thing is you guys have always kind of like, you've been really working on a shoestring. I think partially because you had to, you're doing something kind of crazy and, and, and you didn't get like somebody throwing millions of dollars at you. But is that also kind of, but now it seems like it's a good approach to work on a shoestring shoe and be very conservative and be very kind of not spend a lot of money. Do you think that's, that's something that you guys are going to keep doing or? Actually, no, we know that we have to invest because it's a, it's a, 
quick growing market. Uh, I mean, you have seen it uh, from from next. If you look back to all the years, that the amount of companies is growing. So uh, the longer we wait, the more opportunity we lose, and that's what we realize. Um, so we we are definitely planning to grow, still grow exponentially. So um, yeah, the, the the plan is to grow definitely harder. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, and 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 for the next phase of the company, like, are you going to have to hire a lot more people? Are you going to have to get more bigger? What's going to change for this next phase? Um, definitely growing number of people, um, but also making use um, of external people with the right knowledge. Um, so even if you're going fast and hiring more people, there are still yeah things that doesn't make sense to keep in house. Um, so investing in external parties that's also something that we don't we are going to do more okay that seems like a, like uh that, that could be a really smart but like so just like hiring somebody like one day a week or something like that because they're really good at like whatever quality assurance or something like that yeah because I, we are all flexible i mean i'm the ceo and i'm also taking care of the toilet paper i mean we everybody here knows every screw in the in the r d machines but that's something we can't keep doing and that's also not smart. So that's why we have to outsource things to, that professionals can do better than we can. I mean, the thing that the R&D machines, they work, but yeah, it, it's not professional enough. And now with the, the machine that you saw for next, that's done professionally because yeah, we, we had the right people working on it. So. And and you started this in Belgium, right? So on the one hand, I think it, that seems great. You've got like the Kaiolova, you've got the Materialize, you've got a lot of people. Was it really helpful to be in Belgium? Um, for for that sense, having connections with Kaiolova, definitely. Uh, in terms of finding money, that's uh, that's another story. Um, that, then I was uh, I preferred to be in uh, the US, uh, probably. Um, but did uh, did you end up having to go to the US to get capital, or were you you found it in Europe? Uh, we found it in in Europe at the moment, but uh, for the next capital rounds, we are not going to limiting ourselves uh, to to Europe, uh, especially in the phase and the things that we realized already. It's it's worth to 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 look uh, around further than that. Do you want to do? Well, you mentioned you could do other materials. Are you going to stick for aluminum to aluminum with aluminum for now, or are you going to switch, or what are you going to do with the material front? Yeah, so that's the nice thing of the technology. We have a lot of verticals. One of the verticals is looking towards other materials and all non-ferrum metals are actually uh, still giving a lot of value with our technology. So I'm talking about copper, magnesium, silver, and gold. But yeah, that, that's still a little bit too expensive to play with. But these kind of metals, um, we had already requests for that. Um, they make sense to look at it. But yeah, if we find the, the real sweet spot and niche in aluminum, um, there are so many applications that can be done, then we, can, then we will stick to aluminum. But we have the option to, to look uh, towards other materials as well. I think that's a good point. I mean, a lot of companies, like, you know, a lot of people will ask you, like, oh, can you do it in this material? And I see so many people chasing different materials, especially in powder of fusion and qualifying different materials just because customers say so. Um, but maybe yeah, just like the the market for aluminum, like just is just huge. And then the obvious thing, of course, in this printer is that if you could use this on board a ship, right, or on board a like for example, an oil platform or something like that, right? Yeah, 
exactly. You don't need to change the environment where it stands, so that that allows us to to put it yeah wherever you want basically. Um, and you're not using some exotic you know, <laughs> Xeon or something like that in the chamber. Or, or um, no, no. Uh, we, <laughs> we, well, we use argon as a shielding gas, like you, you have for the, the welding processes. Fair. Okay. Although for you don't need it for all the alloys. Uh, I mean, many of the parts that we showed on for next were printed without any shielding gas. So you just need a plug for the for the power. That's all, basically. So Max, nice. you could get this at your house. I know, right? That's exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, the the installed power fits in a, in a regular means. So, uh, oh, mean, you don't even need like a crazy. No, no. Mm -hmm. the, the the installed power for the printing is only one thousand eight hundred watts, and in nominal power, it's it's only one point three kilowatts. So it's less than your water cooker, basically. That's, That's impressive. It, it, I don't understand that even. I don't understand this. <laughs> You're yeah. melting aluminum. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, it's completely crazy. And 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 so, do you see this as like, um, you know, do, do you see this? Uh, are there also like, do you see a lot? We're talking a lot about stuff about military. Do you see a lot of military applications for something like this? Yeah, well, right. This is really? like a forward operating base. You know, it screams to be in the military. Um. Yeah, we had already several requests from uh, the defense, so uh, there are definitely uh, applications. Although uh, sometimes it's uh, it can be sensitive whether um, we we want to do that or not. So that's an, but that's another discussion. But, oh yeah, yeah but th that's an interesting one. I mean, we we could have because like well, okay. First off, you're in Belgium. Like FN Herstal is from Belgium. You have giant defense contractors in your country. Mm -hmm. um, but for example, Freed for a really long time materialized didn't do any defense work, right? Yeah, and and actually had to say they must have said no to millions of euros in business in in defense work uh, because they just didn't think it was ethical. Is that something you're thinking about then? Because that that to me is interesting. Because in America, you'd be yes, let's do this, you know, that kind of thing, you know. So I think it's an interesting perspective. Yeah. So so of course it's not only my opinion; it's also the opinion of. Uh, everybody involved in Falcon. So, so that's basically uh, a discussion point. I mean, if it helps us to, to move on, then uh, these things are definitely discussable, eh? of course. Uh, we don't say no to those uh, things, but it should not become our main focus, basically. That's, uh, that's what I'm saying. Okay, okay. That's a different, this is a different perspective, I think. I think and I think it's, it's smart to think about that kind of stuff because I think I agree with what Max says. This is just... It's just it just is something that just with the low power consumption as well and yeah. using working off a of wire, this is just something and also the cladding. This is just something you, you somebody eventually is going to want to up our armor a Humvee with this. You know that's like literally what people are, or well, repair it, a ship. Yeah. I was gonna say it's a as a repair device in a awkward scenario or in a place that it's difficult to get resources to. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a military scenario, but you could just be, I don't know on an expedition or something like that, right? You could even be archaeologists trying to dig something up, but they need metal tools for some reason and they need a metal printer. But the military is the one that's the first and foremost that yeah. comes to mind. You know? well, the, the military are, are like off, offshore for the energy. on, on Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Whatsoever. So that's very similar issues as, as with the military, but for a, a more human-friendly uh, I would say uh, purpose. <laughs> Fair. 
Yeah, and and then another thing is like you started this by yourself, and now you've got a small team around. Are you are you are you like so you you have to have learned a bunch of things about managing and marketing and all this stuff. Are you enjoying that journey or? Um, if I would stay in my comfort zone, um, we would go down. So in order to grow, you have to go out to, out of your comfort zone. That's what I'm doing. That's basically what I'm doing right now as well. So. I, I'm, I, I do those things because I want, I want this company to be a success. So yeah, I learn and at some point I, we, we attract people with the right knowledge. Uh, I, we divert everything that is um, in his comfort zone to him. Uh, it frees up space for me that I maybe go back a bit more to my comfort zone. But in the end, yeah, we have to do everything in function of the company to make it work. What do you mean? You're not enjoying our podcast? Come on, this is oh, great. Yeah, yeah, I do. I definitely do. <laughs> <laughs> I have to watch my language. I see. Okay. <laughs> no, that's not. I like that though okay, because that's. I, wait, I, yeah. I got a quick question. Did you end up finishing the rocket, the engine, the rocket engine that inspired you? Did you ever end up making one? Well, actually, if you, um, yeah, you you were not on our boot in from next, but you already was, and we actually printed the rocket engine and fired it. So that's the oh, first sweet. step. Uh, so we did that already, but that was not the kind of rocket engine I was working on. So that's still work in progress. So once this company is established, I still have to go back to my rocket engine. <laughs> Just the rocket that's engine. It. Fair enough. And the funny thing is, like that's that's not going to be aluminum, dude. Probably not. I'm guessing. <laughs> well, actually, it will be. Uh, honestly. Um, really? Wait, wait, explain. It, it sounds maybe weird, but um, NASA also recently have printed the full aluminum uh, rocket nozzle um, that actually works fine. They did firing tests. They published that um, a couple of weeks ago on ICAM. So, yeah, it, it's all about thermal management and how you, you deal with that. So it's definitely possible. I did the calculations myself as well. And I mean, I'm not going to these kind of operation pressures, but it's still a hobby project, so to say, but it's possible. Okay, okay. That's, that's, that's great. An exciting hobby project, actually. I feel yeah. I feel really bad about my hobbies all the time here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have I don't have interesting enough hobbies compared to everyone on the podcast. But and if you if you have like somebody who's similar, like like I love this idea that you brought this up. I think very honestly you brought this comfort zone thing off. And I'm reminded a lot about Freed, for example, who was a researcher at university and he had to learn everything, like marketing, HR, the whole thing, and, and building this business. And do you have advice for somebody like you who's like a technical person maybe and who has to then, you know, all of a sudden pitch to investors and decide what logo to use? Is there any kind of advice uh, that you'd like to give someone like that? Uh, to other people, you mean? Um, what I don't, We don't do everything by ourselves. I mean, we have advisors uh, from uh, technical to, to marketing. So we, we know what our... Um, our pains, our lacks are. So that's why we, we find help on these points to, to make us better. So if you want to do things on your own, yeah, that's, that's going to be very hard and actually stupid to do so. So you have to surround yourself with, with people that know what they are talking about. Well, that sounds like really, really very solid advice. It sounds like really good advice. Um, but um, yeah, so, and what's your ambition for Vulcan? What do you want to hope to achieve, let's say, in the next five years? Um, making Falcon or the technology uh, yeah, uh, established brands and being that's metal printing is becoming an, 
manufacturing technology just like milling, casting and so on. So that is really industrialized. And that's what we want to achieve with Falcon. To get rid of the reputation of too expensive only prototyping, but really yeah, putting it next to the other manufacturing technologies. All right, that sounds like a very sound ambition. Jonas, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. And thanks a lot uh, for, for being here as well, Max. Always, my pleasure. Thank and you. thank you for listening to the 3D Pod. This is another episode, and I hope you enjoyed it very much. Have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.